Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Sunflower Sessions podcast with your host, Hannah Alexis. And I am here today with two very special guests, Gracie and Elena. So how about you guys introduce yourselves? I'll go. Um, my name is Gracie, Gracie Cousin, and I've done musical theater for a really long time. But my favorite thing to do is vocal performance. And I love singing in any genre. And it's just like, uh, it makes me feel so good. So, yep. Okay. Um, hi, I'm Elena and I'm 15 and I like musical theater and painting and reading. And um, I've done musical theater for a few years now, not too long actually. And I just started reading a few months ago and I've always loved the paint. So, yeah. That's really cool. Um, so both of you do musical theater, which is really cool. Um, so I guess my first question is, um, have you guys been continuing your skills from home and how has that changed from practicing them in person, like with the dance studios and vocal studios and things like that? And whoever wants to go first. <laughs> uh, <I'll> go. <laughs> um, well, I go to a school where I do performing arts. So we have virtual dance classes. We have, we have to like constantly have new like vocal rep assignments. So that like will like pull me back into working on musical theater, even when I forget to. So yeah, I mean, that's been a big help, but that's pretty much the only reason why I'm still keeping myself like singing and dancing and everything. <laughs> I, I can completely agree with you there. It really helps when you go to a school that really pushes you to research your art form and to really study it. And what about you, Elena? How do you keep up with your musical theater sort of? Um. Okay, so like after COVID hit, like my dance studio, like it's still open and stuff, but I haven't been able to go because my parents are a little bit stricter about COVID. Right. And so I haven't done actually musical theater, like any performance or studying since um, before, like in March. So, but I've been trying to keep up and practice at home, but it's been a little bit hard after COVID. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing is like, not everyone has the luxury of having a wide space to dance. Not everyone has the luxury, you know, of getting a vocal teacher or being able to have acting classes. So like, I know I'm definitely grateful and anyone who goes to a performing arts school or any schools that are open right now, um, be very grateful for those things because that's not a luxury that everyone actually gets to have. Um, so how have you both been staying motivated during this time, whether that be in arts or school or anything, how have you been able to still be motivated to do something and create? Um, I think it's for me being a junior, like I'm pretty close to college and I'm thinking about like, how do I want to pursue the arts in college? And I'm trying out like different ways of doing art different art forms and focusing more on like okay what really really brings me joy and then focusing and working on that and seeing like really like once something sparks joy for me I'm like okay how can I become like better at this how can I like take time to practice on this and like how is it gonna benefit me in the future like is this something I'm gonna want to do in college and I can like feel it out and that's like really motivates me to keep on working you know Oh, absolutely. And the great thing about this time, despite everything horrible that has come with it, it's really given us time to slow down and see 
if what we are doing is truly bringing us joy and if not, how can I change that? What else can I do? So that's always a really great thing. That's a really great point you bring up, Gracie. And what about you, Elena? Um, well, I am like strictly virtual for my school. So I have like a lot of free time and like having that free time, it really like allows me to um, kind of find what's really like me and like what makes me happy and musical theater is one of those things. So uh, the pandemic, as horrible as it is, it's really helped me with like my musical theater and my art forms. So that's kind of what motivates me and it makes me really happy. That's really good. And that's really what it's about for anything really like really just evaluate and take the time to sit down and think, huh, am I really happy with what I am doing? Because I know there was one study that's saying like maybe 10% of Americans are actually doing what they love to do. And that's very small to me, especially with this idea of what America is like the sort of quote unquote American dream about like, it, if there's anything you wanna be, you can be it if you work hard enough and do these things. But it's really crazy to show like a lot of people have had to sacrifice what they really want to do to be able to get money and be able to live life. And during this time, it's really been good for everyone to just step back and say, hey, let me do what I actually wanna do, life's too short. Um, Y'all both kind of answered like how long you've been performing for, but um, another question I had is, if you could do anything in theater besides performing, what would it be? Um, I would have to say directing because I think there's like to be able to step back from the whole picture and like look at it all and it's like it's almost like you're like moving chess pieces on a board and you get to like just the idea of that is really fascinating to me and I'd hope to be able to do that at some point in time oh I love that analogy Gracie it is absolutely like moving the pieces on a chessboard and just saying huh how can I shift this on a stage oh will that translate the way I want it to things like that absolutely as another person who would love to do directing I've really been seeing amazing things in both film and theater that people have been doing to create and direct so it's been very interesting that's a really good answer um what about you Elena um, what sort of things do you want to, would you do in musical theater if you couldn't perform? Okay, there's two things. I love costume design. I think it's so brilliant and beautiful and it's just amazing. And then I also like, I have a big imagination. So like writing would be cool. Yes, that's really cool. And the good thing about um, write, writing for like plays and films and anything really is that anything that you can do, like it is based on, uh, I'm getting tongue tied. It is basically based on how much you push yourself. Like you can write whatever you want. It is just a matter of how well you're willing, how, hmm, how do I phrase this? Because I think anyone can truly write, but definitely I've seen people who have more of a gift of storytelling because anyone can write something, but it is a, mat a matter of telling the story. Um, and costume design is a really good one. And I feel like I didn't realize how heavily a lot of costume designers were being hit right now with not doing Broadway shows until fairly recently, where I've been seeing all of these foundations and things talking about, oh, like we're not making money right now because we can't design costumes. No, no show is trying to buy our costumes and things like that. So yeah, costume design is a really great one. And so many shows should like, is there an award for costume design? For, like for a Tony award? Because I can't remember if there is. Um, I'm being a bad theater kid right now, but 
I feel like there is, but if there's not, it should definitely be a category, but I think it is. There is. I think it is. Yeah. Okay. There is. Yeah. Yes. There's best costume design. There's not best ensemble. That's the one that I definitely think should be a thing because there have been some amazing ensembles in both revival casts and original shows that definitely deserved awards. But yeah, that's what it was. I get those two confused for some reason, but yeah. Um, so another question I have is what is something new you have learned about musical theater during these past few months that you didn't know before or didn't see before? Um, I think the amount of genres and different stories that can be told, because if you just look at like all the popular musicals, you're like, okay, this is like a really this is like a really similar story for like a lot of the time. And then you like start to dig and you're like, oh, where is this from? Like, oh, this is like randomly in the seventies and it doesn't even feel like musical theater, but it is. And that's like being at home and like having, like taking time to research when I like, I guess normally wouldn't, I've discovered different parts of musical theater that I didn't like know were there before. Oh, absolutely. There have been some shows that I've listened to and I'm like, are you sure that's a musical? Are you sure it's not a movie or something? Because it doesn't have the same sound, but I think that's what's so brilliant about it. And I kind of dislike that we have for so many years, at least for the past 10 to 15 years, gotten in this habit of this is a Broadway sound and this is what is acceptable in Broadway. And I appreciate how Hades, Hades Town, that musical specifically, if you haven't listened to it, highly recommend it. Um, how Hades Town specifically actually shifted that and said, oh, we're gonna have majority alto show. Like it is mainly bass and altos who have a lot of those roles. Except though I do dislike that the female lead is a soprano. So it kind of is annoying because it's again showing like, but all, but it's very beautiful to see like, oh, these voices are also Broadway. This jazz sound is Broadway. Anything can be Broadway if it can be brought to the stage and be used as a medium of, for of storytelling. So yeah, I definitely understand like the sounds thing and how you can really see, oh, Broadway isn't just one sound. It has so many different things and it's just a matter of people bringing that to the table and showing that that is an aspect of performing and we're missing out on it if we don't present it. So yeah, I'm sorry I went on a tangent, but that was a really good answer. Um, what about you, Elena? Um, what is something you've learned about musical theater in the past few months? Um, okay, two things. I just wanted to say I agree with Gracie so much because like without getting like constant like new shows and like new like pieces and stuff, we could dissect the ones that we already have and learn more about it. And like, I think that's amazing. And um, second of all, like I learned like how hard it is for people in musical theater, like how you mentioned like the costume designers, like it's hard for them to have business right now because of COVID and then all the performers and like everyone is affected by like one thing and it's crazy. Absolutely. Like the performing arts as a whole is very much struggling right now. Um, performers, producers, all of those things because you know, I feel like a lot of people definitely touch on this a lot about the hierarchy of musical theater and who's making the most money and who's not and everything. But if no shows are going, no one's making money. So it doesn't matter regardless. And it has been kind of heartbreaking, but also inspiring to see how musical theater performers have tried to find other ways to make money and do what they love in the process. Um, I'm really grateful for some TV shows that are actually allowing Broadway actors to be on them and present them. Um, so that they can still get work and still get paid and perform and do something. Um, 
And again, a few of these shows are again with actors who are very much famous and I feel bad for like more ensemble actors who don't have as big of a name and have that much, um, have the, that many opportunities presented to them because it truly is a struggle and everyone has truly been affected by it. And I'm very grateful during this time that it has kind of brought the community together, but at the same exact time, I'm wondering when we'll be able to do this thing we love again, you know? So another question I have is if you could, oh, wrong question. <laughs> um, what changes do you want to see in musical theater? And if you choose to do musical theater in your future, how would you push theater to make these changes? And I wanted to touch on what you're talking about with um, how like TV shows are like letting, you know, people who do specifically musical theater. I feel like there's a big separation between musical theater performers, people who do TV work and film work and other live performers. And it feels like it's so separate and there's no like intersection between those things. And I wish that like all those different mediums of like performance would start to become intersected too and people who are trained in Broadway would, you know, like shift into doing like film work easier and people who do film work and shift into doing live performance mm -hmm. because I feel like some people are like, oh, I only listen to Broadway or, oh, I only listen to musical theater. And it's like, there's so many different ways you can experience the arts. And I just want to see like that be more fluid in the future, if you know what I mean? <laughs> Absolutely. There should be more of a bridge between the art forms. <laughs> like it shouldn't be so separate as in like, oh, you're a stage actor. Oh, you're a film actor. Oh, you're a singer, dancer, actor, whatever it may be. There shouldn't be that much of a separation because it's all art, you know? And I totally agree with you, Gracie, with what you were saying. And it, it has been great to see more theater performers being, being brought into film, but, um, that isn't, again, a luxury for all ensemble people. So I really hope we figure out how to bridge that gap soon. And I think something that has helped with that and movie musicals have of course been happening forever. Like they have been, well, not forever because film had to be created, but you know, like, you know, there was Gene Kelly, Fred Astaire, Debbie Reynolds, all of them who did mu movie musicals in the forties and fifties. And for, for a hot, it's, it's always been going on, but definitely it's becoming a big thing of, across both film lovers and musical lovers, which is, has been a really cool thing to see, especially with like the prom and Hamilton's another one, of course. Like I haven't met a person yet who truly dislikes Hamilton. If I've met anyone who's disliked Hamilton, it's because they dislike how big it is. So I really like that they're starting to film more movie musicals or film the musicals like literally on the stage because I think that's what we need more of opposed to just saying, oh, let's do a movie, but instead of, let's say instead of Timothy Hughes, we're gonna put in, I don't know, Zac Efron. You know what I mean? Instead of like, I don't like that. It has to switch that out because, um, sorry, I'm going on a tangent again, but if you don't know, there is um, The Greatest Showman. I assume you've seen these movies, but like The Greatest Showman is a great movie, but originally instead of Zendaya, it was supposed to be Cynthia Revo as Ann Wheeler. And Jeremy Jordan was gonna be um, Zac Efron's part, whose name I can't remember, but yeah, it was about, it was supposed to be a lot more theater performers in it actually, but then last minute they sort of switched it up and said, hey, um, we don't know about this musical, we don't know how well it's going to go, so let's at least cast Hollywood performers. They had to kind of get a compromise because before they were already doubtful that this would make a lot of money, so Hollywood was kind of like, I don't know, you're not selling me with Broadway performers, but if we get these film stars attached to it, then sure, we'll do it. 
So it's just crazy to see like the business of it all and that it really does bother people um, that, it, that there really is that much of a gap between knowing theater performers and film performers, especially like the two biggest ones would be like Cynthia Revo and Jeremy Jordan and they still couldn't like sell it. Yeah. And like, I think where that kind of went wrong is if you're gonna put film actors in roles where they're like singing, acting, dancing, musical theater, you have to train them in that. Exactly. And that's the difference. It should be like this, this universal training, you know, I mean, I don't know. I just feel like if you're going to do that, make sure people know what they're doing, you know? I totally agree because there are some film actors who are just genuinely triple threats. For instance, Hugh Jackman, he did Broadway. He did Oklahoma, Boy From Oz. He was also in film, Greatest Showman, um, X-Men, like Logan, all those things, you know, <laughs> like he is an example of being trained in all three and therefore he bridges the gap like he is known from film and theater and that's amazing but definitely I did one film that really bothered me how they didn't train the actors enough in my opinion was La La Land because it had so much potential yes but literally train the singers to sing the dancing was pretty good I will admit that but like the singing I was like man they couldn't get them to like train for a few months possibly like or just cast Broadway actors like and I don't even think it needs to be that extreme but you have to realize you can't just take film actors who only act and put them in a musical and say, okay, sing, okay, dance. If yeah, it's a disservice to them. I feel like we had an idea of a movie musical 50 years ago and that idea of what that movie musical is, is it's so great because we can film in like 4K and like all these amazing things. And then you get these actors and they're not super comfortable doing work that you would have to basically be doing on stage. You know, it's like doing a disservice to them when you don't train them that way. Absolutely. And like, I'm curious, like what y'all both think about this. One example of this, I feel like is, um, um, what's her name? She played Hermione, Emma Watson and Beauty and the Beast. Oh my goodness. Just because you can auto-tune does not mean you should. Like, I'm just curious what y'all think, because um, I know there are definitely Broadway performers who can sing and act and who could have played that role as well. But because there's that huge gap in between, oh, but if we have a name like this, that'll help us because you also had Audra McDonald's in there and a lot of people know Audra McDonald but she's still unfortunately not as seen as say Emma Watson or other or Zendaya you know I'm curious what you think um either of you <laughs> about that you 100% on that because like yeah it would have been better off like like the quality of it would have been maybe better if they had like a Broadway performer but the box office like you have to keep in mind the like the amount of money they expect to make and the budget and stuff so it, it's kind of hard not to have like a big name as like one of the title characters because that's what pulls people to see it exactly that's very true as well and I feel like um like, like Elena basically said, like without those names attached, people may or may not see it. But at the same time, I feel like there can be a balance where like, oh, say you have this huge big name actor, but you also have this Broadway actor as well. 
Like that's kind of what I think the prom did, to be honest. Not saying that Ariane DeBose that people don't know her, but she's also lucky enough to have been in Hamilton and so many people saw Hamilton. And she is also going to be in the movie musical of West Side Story. And, you know, she was in the prom, but also you had James Corden, you had Meryl Streep, you had all these other people around her. So that helped because she is a Broadway performer, but that is only one person. You know, like, you, and oh, well, that's not true. The ensemble did have a good amount of Broadway performers as well. But again, that's one way to bridge the gap. And I think the prom did a good job of that. Um, so back to the other question, because we um, kind of got off track from that one was, um, well, we kind of actually talked about it, but um, I'm still curious, what changes do you want to see in musical theater? And how can we push that change as the next generation in a way? Yeah. Um... The biggest change I want to see in musical theater, just like as a whole, is more diversity between like races, religions, and like just everything. Because like musical theater, like when casting directors go to cast like the majority of Broadway shows, they already have an idea in their mind of like who they want. And it's that's it's usually not very diverse. Mm -hmm. And it's not fair to give opportunities to people just because of what they look like or what they believe in. And yeah, that's kind of it's the biggest change I want to see in our future. Absolutely. And we were kind of talking about this, um, Gracie and I, we go to the same school. So we were talking about this in class about not seeing white as a default and just seeing like, like just having a character breakdown and saying, we're going to bring these people in, not necessarily seeing them as a white person. Or sometimes we get caught up in production history versus actual history. And like we talked about in class, Oklahoma, at that time in which Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Was, like, <laughs> Oklahoma. <laughs> because at the time it was being like, at the time it wasn't majority white, not even close. It was actually majority black population. Um, yet a director of a certain theater um, saw Oklahoma as, oh, at this time it was actually white. So we're gonna cast all of the people as white, which just isn't true. Um, she was caught up in the production history and how it had always beforehand been produced and cater to white actors. But that is again, because of the differences in like there being black shows and white shows, you know? So I totally agree. Diversity is a big thing. And part of that is how we see who gets these roles and see, and we need to stop seeing one thing as the default. That goes for size, that goes for religion, that goes for race. Yeah, yeah for people who whitewash history in general, you can also whitewash and it happens, whitewash musical theater history. And when you have historical plays like that, the just the default of whitewashing, and like like we talked about, Oklahoma is literally just a perfect example of that of how they just chose to completely ignore history if they were to choose to do a historical type production and whitewash it and pander it to certain audiences, and it was terrible. And but we're talking about it now, and I'm so happy for that. I think it's awesome. Honestly, it all starts with a conversation. If you can't even bring yourself to talk about it, nothing will ever change. So I'm glad we're also having this discussion. And another show that I was sort of, another issue that I've seen on Broadway is which people choose to tell these stories. And I've seen stories about very much black, like quote unquote black shows that have been directed, produced, all of those things by white people. And one of this, these, one, one example of this going extremely badly, oh, I have two, but the first one we're gonna get to is with the musical Porgy and Bess and how it originally started. It was very much stereotypical. Um, 
it, a lot of black people actually protested against the musical and looked down upon people who performed in it because it was so stereotypical. And in that instance, actually it was written by the Gershwins who weren't actually white, they were Jewish. So it was like very interesting and in seeing again, like they changed their names, assimilation, how that all happens and how you're trying to again, present something great, but also writing to the audience, you know? And it's very unfortunate to see how that went. Um, that's an old example, but a sort of newer example, like 2002 or 2003, a musical called The Scottsboro Boys, which was about um, these boys who basically got caught up and didn't get caught up. They were on a train with these white women and these white women weren't supposed to be there. And they basically blamed those men for raping them and they, that didn't happen. Um, so they made a musical about it, but the director, Susan Stroman, who's amazing, don't get me wrong, but she decided to do it in the form of a minstrel. And I know she wanted to be provocative with it and like throw it in your face. Like, this is crazy. Like, look what happened, but it's not her story to tell. It's not, her. she shouldn't have that decision, especially when that production team was majority white, the show was written by white people, music written by white people. So it's very much like uncomfortable when I watch it at any time. And she was wondering why people were protesting that show. And it's like, well, it's not even a matter of, it is very much prov provocative in the way that you want it to be, but it is not you. You shouldn't be the director of this show. It's basically what I'm saying, but yeah. I'm curious what your thoughts on those different <laughs> examples of directing and producing gone wrong. Like, what do you think about those things? I think knowing that over the course of Broadway history, most of the people in immense positions of power are white people and the fact that when we start to tell stories that are uh, you know away from just specific white stories like that example of like that is not a story that she has the ability to tell and facilitate who gets to say what in that story that's not and then all of the entirety of theater is telling a story and it being an authentic story that you can go out into life and experience and if that's not your lived experience, it's not your history, your ancestry, then you don't have the ability to decide to teach about something that you haven't experienced or don't know about. Absolutely. And I mean, don't get me wrong about the Susan Stroman thing. Like, she's amazing. And I'm glad she got to where she got because she's a female director also. And there's not enough of those on Broadway, period. Um, but it just wasn't her story to tell. And she also directed Showboat. And oh my goodness, I remember one of our teachers was talking about this at the entrances. She had like a door that said like white and black or colored. And that was how she started the show as you enter the theater to immerse you. And I know it's provocative, but at the same time, I'm like, should you be telling this story or more so what does your production team look like? What does your assistant director look like? Do you have people of color consulting you on this story? You know? So yeah. Um, on that note, like, how do you think we can push racial equity in theater and more diversity into theater? I know that's a loaded question, but <laughs> um, just some ideas or some ways to go about that. Um. Um, one way that you could do it is like, before you start like with uh, hiring like performers and all that, you need to start at the top, meaning have more like, like, people of color that are producers or women or people of different religions, like have them like produce and write shows so that you have a different perspective. And then after that, it'll like 
it's like a domino effect. Once you have like the main thing, it'll eventually start becoming more diverse where everything is equal and fair. Absolutely. It is just very much as simple as from the top, we need to include more people. And um, absolutely, I completely agree with you on that note. And I think one way they're using, um, one reason why that's not happening is because of how the system works and because of systemic racism within it, because they may look at their resumes of people of color and say, oh, your resume is not as extensive as the person who already has your position. And that's like, well, of course they don't because they haven't had the same opportunities as you because you have that privilege. So yeah, I totally, totally agree with that. And we need to get to a point where it should be that simple, like as just getting people who are different from you to have a different opinion and to be in these positions, you know, Gracie. I know we sort of talk about this in class quite a bit, but let's talk about it again. I think specifically, even with casting directors and when it comes to shows that require majority people of color and the think about like, again, like exactly with the same thing of the people at the top who are deciding what stories get to be told, who are deciding they want, who they want to represent. You know, it's so many majority white people who are writing characters that are people of color and it's an inaccurate portrayal and offensive and, and disrespectful portrayal because they don't they can't fathom that experience and there's so much importance in breaking down white supremacy uh, for us as individual performers and then bring that into the space and introducing that to our higher ups the people who are casting us the people who are producing the shows they're in and being open and willing and having that conversation with anyone who is in this business with you Absolutely. And it may be hard to see at times, but it really can just start with us, even though I know we're performers and we're just breaking into the business, but it is the way you present yourself. And if you see anything going wrong, it is saying something. It is not, it's not being complacent. It's, it's actively making decisions to support, to support like equality, to support helping other people of color and inclusivity and diversity and promoting that with yourself first and then, you know, find other allies in the room and join together and do that. And, you know, really pursue that work because you can't keep just choosing to ignore the little things because those things evolve. So I totally agree. And I'm glad we got to have this conversation. Um, my last question really is, do you both want to continue to pursue a career in musical theater as adults? And if not, what sort of careers are you interested in? Ooh, I, I, this is funny because I've had to think about this a lot because I'm, I'm in the process of, you know, the question of do you want to get a BFA in musical theater and conservatories and stuff. And for the time being right now, I don't think I want to pursue specifically musical theater after college. Um, I think it would be through the form of vocal performance for me. That's truly, I get to like kind of um, like hone in on and decide what is the thing that no matter what I go back to and want to get up and do. And I'll always want to be on stage somehow in some way, even if it's like within my community or in my city. Um, but I think out just knowing that I can always find a way to be involved in the arts and there's always gonna be a community there for me, even if it's, you know, singing, uh, singing out on a stage or I mean, supporting a local production or anything like that, I just feel like the possibility of that is just so awesome and always open. Absolutely. 
And I like how you brought up a great point of like, oh, even if I don't want to continue to pursue musical theater, I can absolutely support local productions and continue to perform in different ways. It just doesn't need to be, um, it doesn't need to be one way. There are many ways to stay involved with the arts. I love, I love that. Um, what about you, Elena? Do you continue, do you plan to continue to pursue a career in musical theater as an adult or something else? Because there are so many things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not really sure hundred percent when I like what I want to do as a career choice, but I know like I'm always going to like love musical theater and whether it is that I pursue it like as main thing or not, I'm still going to try to like take part in the community and like wherever I live, I'll try to like also do like local theater productions and just like do what makes me happy. Absolutely. And that really is the goal doing what makes you happy. And just a reminder, once a theater kid, always a theater kid, whether you still do theater or not, you still have theater kid tendencies forever and always. Um, so we are coming at the end of our time, but thank you both so much for joining me today. And do you have anything, any shows you're working on, any new work you're working on that you would like to promote or say as you're closing? <laughs> I know Hannah and I are in a production of What's on This Island. So when that happens, come out and see it. You know, always support your local theater, community theater. So that's all. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah. If you have any questions about that, you can always look on our Instagrams. Um, we'll be posting about it. So you'll see it. Um, what about you, Elena? Anything going on or just anything you want to talk about before we go? Um. Nothing much, but yes, definitely go see their show. And also thank you for having me. Oh my gosh, no problem. Y'all can come on anytime you want. I would love that because I loved this conversation. And I know we sometimes take it for granted now, but it would have been way more difficult within the past year to just have a conversation like this. So I'm really grateful that we got to have transparency in that and really talk about it. So thank you both so much. And this is the end of the Sunflower Sessions podcast. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at the dots at the sunflower.sessions. I said that wrong, but you'll find it. <laughs> but thank you so much for listening. Um, if you would like to be a guest, there's a link in our bio where you can submit to be a guest. So thank you so much for listening. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>